Do me a favor and tell your neighbor that you sounded really, really good singing this morning. The reason why you sounded so good singing this morning is because we serve a great God. Amen? Amen. And that's why we gather together. That's why we are here today. If you have your Bibles, we are still journeying through the book of Luke. We took a little break last week there, and we are back in chapter number 19, where we have been studying and looking through the life and investigating the life of Jesus. Now, over the past several weeks, we have been going through a little mini-series in the midst of this because I really believe the Lord has really been giving us some things that we desperately need right now that, that even though in, in His life and as He was go, getting ready to go to Jerusalem and to the cross, obviously things were happening there, but I believe they parallel so well what's happening in our lives and in our day and age uh, today. And so we pick up, Jesus was in Jericho, that's the last stop before going to Jerusalem, if you recall. But over the last several weeks, months actually, we've really been kind of laying out the fact that Jesus has been preparing his disciples and us to live when he is gone. He's preparing his disciples knowing he's going to go to the cross and eventually ascend into heaven. But for us, we know that he's already ascended and we've already lived with him not physically being present with us here. And as a result of that, we have put into one sentence this idea of what it means for us to be followers of Christ. What does he desire for us in our lives? And for those of us that are followers of Christ, we put it into one sentence. It'll be on the screen for you. If you've not written this down yet, I really encourage you to to write this down. We are to be humbly surrendered to God with a consistent prayer life, which causes us to walk by faith and to live in hope. The idea is we need to recognize who God is and who we are not. We need to humble ourselves. We need to surrender to the will of God continually in our lives. We need to be bringing everything, bathing everything in prayer, seeking His answer, His direction. And that causes us to live by faith, trusting Him, and to live in hope. To know that we have a hope. We have an eternal hope. How many of you know we're living in a day and age where hope is very small, right? But if you know Jesus, you know this world's not your home. You're just passing through. Aren't you glad this world's not your home? Guess what? It's falling apart. (laughs) And I'm ready for something better. And God has promised us uh, an eternal hope. Not a hope so, a hope that heaven is our eternal home. And as we've been walking through this, we have drawn this right to our vision statement. Wanting to let you know that there is a reason, there's a purpose why we exist and what we want to accomplish. Uh, And what Jesus is laying out here parallels what we want in our vision statement. And that is this, we are committed to discipling members to become mature believers who are grace points making a difference in their communities. Now, if you've been here for a while, you know that we use the term grace point for disciple. And the reason why we've done that is disciple can become, just like any other Christian term, a very generic term. But we believe that discipleship is the fact that wherever you go, whatever you do, wherever you are, guess what? There you are. And because you are there, you are the point at which God's grace reaches the world. 
So whether you're working, whether you're playing, whether you're in school, whatever you're doing there, wherever you are, you are the point at which God's grace touches the world. And so that's what we are to be and what we are to do. But in order for us to do that, as we've uh, laid out, is that we need to be mature believers. And what in the world is a mature believer? Well, we've been spelling that out over these last several weeks. And we believe that a mature believer is one who has a mature faith. A mature faith. So what does it mean to have a mature faith? Well, over the last three weeks, we've seen, first of all, that a mature faith moves us to godly actions. How many of you know to simply believe something doesn't mean you have faith in something? To simply say, I believe, but put no action to it, to simply say, I believe, but not to uh, move towards that belief and make it become part of your life simply means that you have beliefs, but you don't necessarily have faith. We also have looked at the fact that uh, mature faith moves us towards the sinful. Like Christ, we as followers of Jesus are to purposely be drawn to the wicked and lovable so that we can extend God's grace to them. Remember, I asked you a very poignant question uh, as we looked at that, and that is this, what sin keeps you from going to certain people? And we need to recognize that no sin kept Jesus from going to anyone. Right? He never uh, condoned their sin, never got involved in their sin, but he definitely never stayed away from people as a result of their sin. And then we saw two weeks ago that mature faith uh, experiences God's saving power, <clears throat> meaning this, that God has equipped us, and we're going to see that even today, that God has equipped us to go into the world to share the good news of Jesus Christ, and we as followers, one plants, one waters, God gives the increase, but the reality is that every single one of us should experience the joy, the excitement, and the power of God in seeing someone come to saving faith. We should see that in our lives as followers of Jesus. And today, Jesus kind of wraps this thing up now. Uh, as he's getting ready to go into Jerusalem, he's right outside the gates of Jerusalem, if you will. And he's going in, he's going to give his final message, if you will, to the crowd that has been following him before he gets into what we would know as the Passion Week. And so Jesus finished his time with Zacchaeus. You remember last week or two weeks ago, he was at the dinner table. Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus <clears throat> came to saving knowledge and, and totally changed his life. And now he has left Jericho. They're down uh, the road uh, heading to Jerusalem. The crowd is following. The disciples are there. The apostles are there. And the Pharisees are there because they want to find out what Jesus is going to say or do so they can call him on it. And now as he's walking through, he's, he stops here outside of Jerusalem to teach one last parable. Now remember, a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And Jesus stops here because it's so interesting. Uh, the first words of uh, verse number 11 says, as they heard these things. Well, what things did they hear? Jesus is, is referring to the conversation that was taking place in the crowd uh, of everything that they saw. So he's hearing them talk about Zacchaeus. He's hearing them talk about things. But he's also hearing them talk about something else. And I'll draw that out in one second. But Luke here is so good for us. If you recall, in the last few parables that we've looked at, Luke has given us the purpose for the parable before we got into it. Isn't that good? Jesus didn't do that with his crowd, unfortunately. He gave him the parable. Luke now, for us looking back and reading this, Luke says, here's what this parable is about, and I want you to understand what the parable is about before we hear 
what Jesus says. And so verse number 11, he proceeded, as Jesus proceeded to tell a parable, because he was near to Jerusalem, now listen now, and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. Jesus is walking with this crowd. They're all walking with him, going to Jerusalem. And he starts hearing things as he's going. They're, they're talking about the excitement of all they saw and stuff like that. And, and, he, and as he's hearing these things, he's, he's putting something together in his mind. And so there's no doubt the apostles and Jesus' disciples knew that Jesus was the Messiah at this point. They're, they're ready for this. But for them and for the crowd, the Messiah to them meant this. The kingdom of God is here and it's going to be established right now. Meaning this, Rome is going to be overthrown, Jesus is going to become our king, and we're going to be free. And they're so excited. And Jesus starts hearing this. And they're coming into Jerusalem, and guess what's happening in Jerusalem now? They're getting ready to celebrate the Passover feast. We, call, we, we look at that as, as Easter. Okay, but back then they, they were celebrating back way in the Old Testament when the Egyptians were taken into where the excuse me the Jews were taken into captivity with the Egyptians, and they are freed from that Egyptian rule. Every year they celebrate this, and so the Passover feast is going to take place. They're getting ready to celebrate the deliverance that they had from Egypt, and I think some of them were starting to put one and one together. And I think Jesus started hearing some talk from the crowd going, maybe this is our new deliverance. Maybe this week is going to be the week that Jesus, our Messiah, conquers Rome in a, in a fell swoop. And he's going to become our king. And we're going to be out from underneath this Roman rule. Because they were convinced of who he was. And you have to understand, the Jews underneath the oppression of the Roman government were ready for their king. They were ready to be out from under neath that Roman rule, but what they didn't understand, and what we do today, is that more than them needing a king, we need a savior. And Jesus knew that. And so Jesus tells this parable, and Luke sets it up for us this way. Jesus teaches in this parable that the kingdom is not immediate, but listen now, it's still coming. How many of you know the kingdom of God has not come to earth as of yet the king has not returned and so he tells this parable to show what is going to happen this this one parable gives us so many future events that we could we could go on rabbit trails and stuff like that we could be here till next tuesday but i promise you only five o'clock tonight okay it'll be good i get one amen out of that come on that's what I was thinking. The Packers aren't playing today. We're all right. So, Some question whether they play any week. But anyways, we'll move on from that. All right, let's pray and go home. Now that you're awake, it was unconceivable to his followers that the kingdom was not going to take place immediately but he said to them look at what he says he tells them this parable he says a noble man went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return 
And calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas. That's just a word for money, uh, like a pound, if you would, uh, that, that we would use in British money or dollars or hundred dollars, whatever it is you want to make it be. It's just money. And he said to them, engage in business until I come. So he sets up this parable talking about this nobleman. And what is happening with this nobleman is he is going to become king of the territory. Now this is a picture of Christ. You remember we talked about a few parables in the past where Jesus gives these parables and they, and they contradict who Jesus is. This parable is a parallel of Christ as king and those of us who are his servants and the citizens of the city, we're going to see this as we go forward. But the nobleman is a picture of Christ. He goes to another country and the reason why he goes to the other country is that he's going to be inaugurated as king in that country to come back and rule and reign over the people. And so before he leaves, what he does is he gathers his servants to him, ten of them, and says, here is my money, here is a portion of my money. You know that I'm a businessman, and I want you to continue my business in my absence. I want you to continue gaining money for me in my absence, do the business transactions, and stuff like this. Now, we have to understand that these servants, these servants loved their master. All right. This was an honor for them. This was a privilege for them. He wasn't asking them to do something that, that they dreaded or were upset about. They were honored to serve their master, this nobleman, in this fashion. They wanted to do the best they could. Well, at least for the most part. And I'll show you that in just a moment. He gives them all the exact same amount of money. And he charges them to do my business until I return. Now, the nobleman is Christ. The servant are his followers. If you're a follower of Jesus today, you are the servant. That's who he's referring to. But then Je Jesus adds another group to this mix. Uh, uh, another, uh, unfortunately, a, a group that doesn't like the noblemen at all. And he says in verse number 14, But the citizens that he was going to rule over, the citizens hated him. And sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. Why in the world does Jesus add this to this story and, and bring this group in? Because he understood and knew that uh, there was a group of people that didn't want to follow his authority. You remember who that group was? It was the Pharisees. They fought Jesus every step of the way. And in that group, it's the Pharisees. But listen, there's nowhere in this parable that tells us that this nobleman or this soon-to-be king was an evil person, was a person that deserved to be hated. It was simply telling us, and what, what Jesus is telling us is giving us a sign of the times and really telling us that this is just a group of people that didn't want anyone to have authority over them. It wasn't the fact that they hated the king because they hated him as a person. It was, I want to do my thing my way. I don't want anybody to tell me how else I need to act or do. I want to be my own ruler. Sound familiar? I want to do it my way. I want to have my own thing. And I don't want anybody else messing that up. So they rejected this nobleman, they rejected this king. They sent a delegation to, to try to say, listen, don't crown him as king. We don't want him as king. Well, who do you want as king? No one is king. We want it to do our own thing. So Jesus has set up the scene for us here. We have the king who is Christ. We have the servant who is the followers of Jesus. And we have the citizens are those who reject Christ, who will not accept them as their king. 
And so Jesus continues on here and, and lets us know the nobleman has left. He has gone to go get his crown. He has gotten his crown and he returns. Verse number 15, I want you to see this. This is so important. Jesus says, when he returned, having received the kingdom. Why does Jesus say that so emphatically? Not just because it fits in the story. Jesus wants you to understand the king is coming. The king may go for a while, the nobleman goes away, but he's coming back one day as king. He is coming back as king of kings and lord of lords. Jesus is going to return. He is going to come again. And for those of us that know him as lord and savior, we, we await that return. We are excited for that return. But listen to me very carefully. That day also brings with it a day of reckoning. It brings with it a judgment. Now... I want you to get out of your mind the idea of a judgment the way that we talk about judgment because God's grace is so absolutely amazing. When the king comes, he doesn't come to destroy. He comes to reward. Did you hear that? He doesn't come to destroy. He comes to reward. Okay? So the king is coming. And so I want you to, to get that. So he says here, when he gets back, he orders, verse 15, last part of it, he ordered those servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know what they had gained by doing business. So he comes back. Now look at the, the positivity of the king. I want to know what they've gained. I want to know what they've done. I want to know how good they have done. I, I want to, he's already anticipating there being something good with his servants. Do you see that? I want to see what they've gained. Because before he left, remember, he told his servants to do my business. Until I return. Now, Jesus doesn't give us a report of all ten. He didn't want the story to go that long. But he gives us a report of the person that was the, the top, the middle, and the bottom uh, in this. And so we see here that Jesus wants to show us these servants and what they have done. But listen very carefully. The emphasis here for the servants is not on punishment, but on reward. Look at what he says. Verse number 16. The first came before him saying, Lord, your mina has made ten minas. Remember, mina is just money. And he said to him, well done, good servant. Well done, good servant. Because you have been faithful in very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. And the second came saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, and you are to be over five cities. Both of these, well done, good servants. You both did very well. We see here the, the mature, faithful servant who took the money that was given to him and they invested it and they multiplied it and they continually did what the, the business of the king. And they made more. And so he rewards them with giving them a high-ranking position, giving them an opportunity to rule over more cities. But unfortunately, there's one. And this one comes to the king, and he didn't obey the king. And in verse 20, we see this. Then another came, saying, Lord, here is your mina, the one that you gave me. Here it is. I've wrapped it up in a handkerchief, and I kept it safe. Why? This is interesting. Because I was afraid of you. Because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit, and you reap what you did not so, so the other nine, we see here, 
did something, obeyed their king, and made a prophet for the king, and yet this one does not. And he has a problem, and here's what his problem is. And I want you to hear me very carefully, because when we read this portion of Scripture, we get, we get confused here. We, we miss kind of what's happening. This servant's problem was that he had a completely wrong understanding of the king. This is not a description of how the king was. The king was not a mean person. He was not a hateful person. He did not steal from people. He did not treat them wrong. He was, this was just made up in the mind of this servant. He believed his king was a hard, mean man. A man who made his money by taking it from others and treating them wrongly. Now Jesus doesn't tell us why he thought this way, but it is implied that the servant came to this conclusion on his own. He made this decision that this king was this way. This was not a true representation of the king. And how many of you have heard so many wrong representations of our king, Lord Jesus? How many people have, have said that, that the things of God, He just want to crush me, He just wants to tear me down, He just wants to destroy me. No, God is not against you, He's for you. As His child, He is for you. He wants you to succeed, He wants you to do well. But unfortunately, the problem was not really the fact, the problem was that He had this view, but this view caused this servant to listen now, not obey. Well, if the king is mean, if the king is horrible, if he's this way, then I'm not going to do anything for him. If he's going to just tear me down and destroy me and, and all this kind of stuff, then I'm just going to hold on to this and, 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 and shake as I give it back to him and go, okay, don't, don't hurt me. Listen, that's not the picture of our God. That's not the picture of our God as his children, as followers. Just like everyone else was given the resource and the task to do the business of the king, this servant was given the same, yet he chose, he chose to do nothing at all. Now, he says it's because of his fear, but can I share with you what I wonder? I wonder if this is simply an excuse. Aren't we good at making excuses? Isn't it easy to make excuses? And then, uh, aren't we good at blaming others? Right? Don't look at your spouse right now, please. Aren't we good at it? Do you realize it happened all the way back in the Garden of Eden? This woman, Lord, you gave me, Adam said to God. And then... The, <laughs> And then eventually they tried to blame God, and that's what this servant did. Do you believe this? The servant said, this is the king's fault. If you weren't such a mean, horrible God, then I would have done, but I didn't. And I say this as an excuse because the response that Jesus puts here in the story is pretty amazing. In verse 22, he said to him, now, I will condemn you with your own words. In other words, this is your idea, not mine. This is your description, not mine. 
These are your words, they are not mine. I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a a fear man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. This is what you say, this is what you say you believe, you believe this. And he says to him simply, then why did you not put my money in the bank? Why did you put it in a handkerchief and hide it in a drawer? If you really thought I was this horrible, mean person, and you were worried about how I was going to react, and this was really true of how I was, then why did you just hide this and not even just put it in the bank where I get at least a little bit of interest, a little bit of something? So I condemn you with your own words. This is not how I am. You see, the servant may have convinced himself that his king was a severe and mean person. However, it was blatant disobedience that caused him to receive the chastisement. Do you see that? He just said, I'm not going to do it. I have been given a command by God to do this. My king has told me, and I'm just not going to do it. Whatever the reason, whatever the excuse. And yet we see the true heart of the king here. We see what happens in this when we see the punishment that's given. This is absolutely amazing. Look at this now. Verse number 24. And he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. And they said to him, they questioned him, Lord, he has ten minas. And I tell you, everyone who has more will be given, but from one who has not, even what he has will be taken. What is that talking about? Well, first of all, I want you to see something here. I want you to see something about the servant. Do you notice in here that he doesn't say, you're no longer my servant? Do you notice here that he says, you no longer have a position in my kingdom? No. Remember, the servant represents us as as followers of Jesus, as believers. He says, you're still my child. You're still my servant. But unfortunately, you've lost your reward. You have lost your reward. But for those who are faithful, he, get, he takes this mina and gives it to the one who has ten. The, the picture here is this, is that for those of us who faithfully obey God and do what he asks us to do and live for him the way he asks for us to live, he says, those I lavishly reward. I reward those who are faithful to me. I reward those who follow me. I reward those who obey me. But for those who don't, you may be my child. You may be saved. But for those who don't obey, you lose rewards. You lose rewards. But do you realize, and this is very interesting as we come to the very end of this, you might be thinking, wow, that's, That's pretty bad. That's pretty tough. Listen to me very carefully. There is one category that's even worse. Because Jesus finishes this up and says, listen, as bad as that is, and it is, verse 27, but as for these enemies of mine who do not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. You say, wow, that's harsh. Listen, that's a picture of hell. For every person who rejects 
Christ. He says, I am a loving king. I come and I want to have a relationship with you. I want you to serve me and I will bless you and live this life. And then you'll have heaven as your home. This is the relationship that God wants. But if you reject that, if you say no, if you say I'm not going to have Jesus be king over my life. The Bible says this, for those of us who reject the king, we are the enemies of God. You say, oh, no, no, I just, I just don't want the king over me. No, the Bible says you're either in or you're out. There's no in between. <laughs> There's no middle ground. You're either a, a servant, a child of the king, or you're the enemy of the king. And for those who are enemies of the king, the Bible says they will be separated from God for all of eternity in a place called hell. But here's the good news. You don't ever have to stay an enemy. At any moment, while you still breathe, while you still have breath in your lungs today, you can become a child of the king. You see, the king came to die, to bear our sins on his body. Jesus came laid himself on a cross, willingly took his place, took our place, bore our sins on his body, that if we will repent, ask forgiveness of our sin, and trust in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and ask him to be Lord of our life, he says yes. To every person that does that. I don't care what your past is. I don't care what you've done. I don't care how things have been. God promises for everyone who confesses that they're a sinner, asks forgiveness of their sin, repents of their sin, puts their faith and trust in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and asks them to be Lord, be king of my life. He says, yes. But the heart of this parable, even though Jesus taught it to the people that were there, isn't for the people that were there. Because it's very likely none of them understood the parable. You know how I know? Because the disciples ran when they arrested Jesus. <laughs> because they all went and hid when all of this took place. And they, they mourned when Jesus died because they didn't understand there was going to be a resurrection. They didn't understand the parable. They didn't understand what he was talking about. But for those of us looking back, those of us who have seen the history and know, this parable's for us today. For those of us who've accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, this parable is specifically for us. Because for those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, those of us who are saved, who know that heaven is our home, our King is coming. And He has given us a task to do before He comes. Can I tell you a secret? You already know this. Are you ready? I just want to make sure you're with me. This parable is not about money. Jesus used something that he thought would be important in our lives, but what should be equally important or more important is this, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That should be the most important. And I want you to see in this parable three things that we can take from this that give us the, the powerful truth of what he's giving us here very quickly, and that is this. Listen to me very carefully. As a follower of Jesus Christ, one who is... Uh, saved and, and has a relationship with the king, listen to me very carefully. God has given you, given everyone who is a follower of Jesus Christ, the exact same resource. You remember with the 10? He gave each one a mina, didn't he? 
The same exact. That means this. He has given you the gospel. He has given you the ability to speak. He has given you the power that he has inside of him through the power of the Holy Spirit to share the good news of Jesus Christ. There is no believer on this earth that can say, I can't share the gospel message. You know why? Because God has given you the gospel message and he is the one that will perform it. He was the one that will give it out through you. Do you hear me? He has given you the resource. Every one of us have the same resource. Every one of us have the gospel to give. And so because of that, because of the resource that the master has given you, that God has given you, he says this, I expect you as my child to invest the gospel in the lives of others. There's not a question. There's not if you want to or if it works into your schedule or if you feel comfortable enough. Because why? I want you to understand something. Because God is the one that, is, that wants his gospel presented more than we ever do. And he will make a way that the gospel will reach the heart of the lost. We are the messengers. We are the ones who have the answer. We are the ones to take it to the world. And, and we are to be the ones to invest it. And there's two ways that we do it. The first and foremost, the most important way that we invest the gospel is we better live it. We live it. And then as we live it, as we live serving God, as we live putting Him first in our life, as we live following and obeying the Word of God, then we have opportunities, the Holy Spirit gives us opportunities to speak it. And then when we speak it, God gives the increase and we experience it. If you want more on that, that's what we talked about two weeks ago. Go back and look at it. So through our actions and through speaking this, we are to invest His gospel in the lives of others. Because I want you to know something. Even more, listen now, even more than you're wanting to hear these words, I hope and pray you're wanting to hear these words, our God wants to say them. Do you remember His response to the first servant that's earned Ten minus. He also said it to the one with five, but it was, wasn't said. It was just implied. Do you remember what he said? Well done. Well done, good servant. Well done. There's nothing more I desire to hear in my life than stand before my God and him say to me, well, you weren't perfect. I said, I know that. but you were obedient. Well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the reward that has been prepared for you. The king is coming. He has given every one of us a resource. He has given every one of us the opportunity, the privilege to Take the gospel message. And if we're going to be mature believers, then we must be, have a, a faith, a mature faith. Last slide, if you will, that remains faithful. We must have a mature faith that remains faithful. We must be faithful till the king returns. There's no quitting. There's no retirement 
If you draw breath, you are a child of God and you have the gospel to invest in the life of others. Until that blessed day when God takes you home or the king returns, and I hope and pray he says to you, well done, good and faithful servant. Will you stand with me in God's house today? Father God, thank you so much for loving us. Thank you for this parable. Father, I pray right now if there's someone here today that would say, even before recognizing that there's a task to do, that they need to have a relationship with you. Oh God, I pray right now where they sit or stand, that in the best way they know how, they'll just ask forgiveness of their sin. Put their trust in your death, burial, and resurrection. And the best way they know how, simply ask for you to come and be Lord of their life. And God, I thank you that you will do what you have promised to do. Oh God, the time is running short. You are coming soon. Let us be faithful. Help us to be faithful. There's a world right outside our doors that desperately needs you. And God, we need to take the message. Use us, God. Use us, please, to reach this community and surrounding areas. We ask all this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.